Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Yesterday, we got the official release of the Fed's uh, statement that always follows the conclusion of these two-day policy meetings that happen every every six weeks. And every other meeting, they're followed up by a press conference. We got that last time. We didn't get it this time. And the release was received by the markets and by followers of the Fed as being very, very hawkish. And, you know, what they mean by hawkish when it comes to the Fed is a Fed that is, uh, you know, tighter. They're going to be raising interest rates, fighting inflation, hard money, as opposed to an easy Fed that's seen, you know, loose monetary policy, uh, lower interest rates, more tolerant of inflation, right? So in my mind, there's nothing hawkish about this Fed or this this statement. If the Fed were hawkish, they wouldn't still be reiterating, reiterating their patience, right, when it comes to raising rates five or six years into a so-called recovery. If this was a hawkish Fed, uh, there would have been a rate increase already. They wouldn't be talking about their patience. Uh, so the Fed is very dovish, regardless of the spin. But I will agree that the statement was hawkish In one sense, and that was the Fed's unguarded optimism about the U.S. economy and the U.S. labor market, because I've never read a communique, one of these statements, that was more bullish, right, at least recently, in recent times, where they just were very optimistic about the U.S. economy. And of course, I think that many people on Wall Street were probably correctly anticipating the Fed to have a somewhat less optimistic tone, given all of the bad economic news and what's happened in the markets, what's going on in Europe uh, with the dollar, oil, all of these unknowns that should be questioning, right, the the Fed's uh, rosy assumptions, right, casting some kind of uh, shadow on this very bright picture. But instead, the Fed ignored, seeming went out of its way to ignore 
acknowledging any of these problems and just focused on how great things were. And and so the immediate reaction to this disappointment in this uh, tougher, more hawkish Fed was that the market sold off and the dollar rallied. Gold also sold off. In fact, the stock market was up about 50 points at two o'clock when, you know, the Fed announcement came out and the Dow closed down 200. So about a 250 point decline. Now, normally the market has its best days on the day that the Fed speaks, either verbally or through a written communication like we got today. But the market was down. And in fact, what we have, what has been the experience recently is not only do you have a big update on the day the Fed speaks or writes, you get follow through on the next day. You get two big updates. That's what's been happening. And that's not happening so far today. I'm recording this in the morning. The Dow's about unchanged. It's been up and down, but it hasn't had a big gain, uh, nor do I think it's likely to have a big gain. The dollar, though, uh, is continuing strong. It's down a little bit against the euro today, but it's up against pretty much everything else. And gold is continuing to decline. It was only down slightly, maybe five or six bucks yesterday. But as I record this now, we're down about $20 on, again, the expectation that the Fed is very optimistic on the economy and will, you know, maybe raise rates sooner than now people had been expecting. People were dialing back their expectations from maybe a June hike to one later in the year, and maybe they're rethinking that given the Fed's apparent attitude. And also, because the Fed is so upbeat about the economy, uh, that makes investors feel better about the economy because you know they, they, for some reason, believe that the Fed actually knows what it's talking about. And if the Fed thinks the economy is good, well, it must be good. And of course, that's just a bunch of nonsense. But I'm trying to figure out if there's some kind of a method uh, to their madness, because there is there are two ways you can look at the Fed statement. See, one is that they actually believe that the economy is as strong as, you know, the communique would suggest, right? That's one thing, that they're they're just as confident as, you know, consumers. You know, we've been getting these high consumer confidence Readings that keep coming out. In fact, today, uh, the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index came out better than expected, 47.3, the highest level of confidence since July of 2007. Now, you remember, that was six months before the beginning of the Great Recession, the greatest recession since the Great Depression. Uh, But now consumers are as confident now as they were then. I think they're as wrong now as they were then because obviously their confidence was misplaced. And if the Federal Reserve is as confident in the economy as their statement suggests, then I think they're as wrong now as uh, consumers were then. And if you remember, the Fed was also very bullish in mid-2007 on the eve of the, the Great Recession. But there's another uh, explanation I think makes a lot more sense to me, because I don't believe that the Fed uh, is not concerned. I don't believe uh, that their disposition is quite as sunny Right. As as this as this communique, this this statement suggests, because after all, how can they not be concerned about what's happened in the last six weeks? I mean, there's been all sorts of terrible economic news that have come out. I went over uh, some of the data on the last podcast with the durable goods number, the awful durable goods number that we got on Tuesday. And the Fed had that that number was released while they were meeting. Uh, But we got even more bad news today. Obviously, the Fed didn't have this report on pending home sales, although maybe they did. I don't don't know. Maybe they get some of this stuff in advance. But the pending home sales today 
uh, they were looking for a 0.9% increase. And instead, we got a 3.7% drop. That's the second biggest drop since mid-2010. I mean, that's a huge miss. And they revised downward the gain from last month from 0.8 to 0.6. So a really bad number. And we've been getting lots of bad numbers uh, since the Fed's last meeting. Right? Numbers that are much weaker than the Fed was probably looking for. In addition, we've had a big uh, drop in the stock market. You know, uh, and we've had corporations reporting bad earnings. So we've got bad numbers coming out in the stock market, bad numbers coming out in the housing market. How can that not worry the Fed? After all, remember, the twin pillars of this recovery, right, are the stock market and the real estate market. That's what Ben Bernanke, that was his goal from QE. It was to lift asset prices so as to uh, produce a wealth effect that would trickle down to everybody else. And even though the wealth effect didn't trickle down, you know, they never veered from that. I mean, they're still betting on it happening. Uh, the rising asset prices are still an integral part to the Fed's plan. And now, you know, these bubbles are deflating. How can that not raise an eyebrow over there at the Fed? How can they not be concerned about that, as well as all the other economic indicators that are weak? But also, look what's happened to oil prices. And more importantly, look at how what's happened to the U.S. dollar in the last six weeks. No real mention of any concerns coming from a strong dollar or falling energy prices. And I say that because the Fed is always pretending that its concern is inflation and that the concern is that it's not high enough. Well, if the Fed was somewhat concerned about inflation not being high enough six weeks ago, they should be much more concerned now. But according to their statement, they're not. Right. You've had a big drop in oil prices and now this big rise in the dollar, which is going to keep a lid on other consumer prices, headline inflation, as long as the dollar stays strong. So why isn't the strength in the dollar concerning the Fed? If they're if they're worried that inflation isn't high enough and a strong dollar is going to depress inflation, why doesn't that concern the Fed if the Fed is claiming that its main concern is that inflation be at its 2% mandate and that now we're, it would look like, to the Fed anyway, that we're further away from that goal than we were six weeks ago? So why is there less concern now than there was, when, than, there was then? My thinking is there isn't. I think the Fed actually is concerned about all these things, but it doesn't want to you know, mention that fact. It doesn't want to worry the markets by expressing its concern, it wants continue to continue to be the cheerleader of optimism and hopefully influence the parade to follow it if, it if it if it stays on this tact. But I think more importantly, I think the Fed is trying to talk the dollar up and talk the oil markets down. Now, why would they want to do that? Right. If they say if they claim they're afraid of low inflation, why would they try to talk the dollar up, which would, in fact, lower inflation? Because they are looking for an excuse not to raise rates. And the higher they can drive the dollar by pretending they're going to raise rates, and the lower they can push oil prices by pretending they're going to raise rates, the less pressure there is to actually raise them. In other words, the more they talk about raising rates, the less likely it is that they'll have to raise them. And that is their real goal, right? If they can really push the dollar up and push prices down, that gives them the excuse they need. That gives them the cover that they need. And also, when it comes to the dollar, one of the reasons that they want to drive the dollar as high as they can 
apart from keeping inflation lower for longer so that they can delay having to raise rates, which they know they can't do, right, is when they do come out and acknowledge QE4, which they've got to do eventually, the higher the dollar is when they do it, the better, because the dollar is going to cave, right? It's going to really roll over. But at least if they do it when the dollar is way up, then it's not going to fall through any key support levels. It's not going to usher in an immediate dollar crisis. A dollar crisis is going to come eventually. But if they can elevate the dollar first and then it starts its descent from a higher perch, well, then it's not as bad. I mean, if the Fed had had to come clean a year ago and launch, you know, and and, and basically and, and said we can't taper and we're going to do QE forever, the dollar would have tanked from a much lower level. It would have gone through key support and we might have had a dollar crisis a lot sooner. So the Fed is buying a lot of time by propping the dollar up. And so it has a long way to drop before it gets into a danger zone where it might accelerate into some kind of a dollar crisis. Also, if this rhetoric does in fact push the stock market down, then again, that's another reason not to cut rates. And maybe too, they're trying to keep this card close to the vest so they can play it when they need it. Because by allowing the markets to think that they're hawkish, right, that they've got this tough stance on on inflation, they have room to soften that stance, right? If the market really starts to sell off and they want to throw it a bone, they want to prop it up, they can they can change their posture. They can say, well, you know, maybe we'll be patient longer. Uh, we're starting to get concerned by some of the data we're seeing. And the markets could, you know, could take that and run with it. But if they were already telegraphing that opinion, that intention, then they couldn't use it later. Then they would have to pull out QE4. And I think they want to play that card last, right? They want to they want to keep that up their sleeves as long as they can. So by feigning this, you know. This, this 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 tough stance on, hey, the economy is great, the economy is great, we're not worried about anything, that gives them the leeway to change their tune and influence the market. So it could be pretty cheap insurance for them to have that. You know, meanwhile, they continue the pretense, right? The longer they can they can bluff that they're everything is great and they're gonna raise rates, they continue to foster the the myth, the illusion that that rate increases are even possible in the first place, which which they're not. Right. The, the Fed can't really raise interest rates. Now, can they raise them a quarter of a point without all health breaking loose? Sure. But it's not that first quarter of a point. It's what the market will anticipate is going to happen later. I mean, you've already got a lot of weakness in the stock market now based on the anticipation that the Fed may or may not raise rates at some point in the future. But if they actually started to raise them and they started that tightening process and the markets had to factor in not only the first hike, but all the other hikes that are going to follow, right, that is going to, you know, cause the markets to come down, the stock market, the real estate market, and all the negative consequences that that's going to have, particularly on the banking sector, when you see asset prices really start to come down, when you've got a lot of leverage in these sectors. I mean, we saw what happened in 2008, right, when asset prices plunged. Well, we got more debt now. We got more leverage now. The problem is going to be when asset prices plunged last time, the Fed still had a much smaller balance sheet and interest rates started from a much higher level. So they had, you know, a lot more room to bring them down. This time they start raising interest rates a little bit and they collapse the markets. The Fed is really out of ammunition. They've already got a massive balance sheet. They've already been done, done QE1, 2, and 3. Rates are, even if they raise them, they're still not going to be that far from zero. 
when it all hits the fan. So they're going to be in a much more precarious situation this time around than they were last time. Now, I think the other wild card, of course, for the Fed is going to come in unemployment, which I do believe is going to pick up throughout the year. Uh, notwithstanding the outlier I think we got today in the weekly jobless claims, which came out you know, minus 43,000 to 265,000. I think that's the lowest weekly claims number in about 15 years. Now, I don't know what explains it. I think last week it was a holiday week with the Martin Luther King holiday. I don't know if that gets factored in. The moving average is now down below 300,000 again at 298,500. But I think that this is an aberration. I think next week we'll probably have a big jump and the moving average will be back on the ascent. Also, I looked on uh, Zero Hedge, and they did show that in the shale states, there was a big surge in unemployment claims, which means that in the non-shale states, there was an even bigger plunge to, to even it all out. But the one thing we know is those jobs that are being lost in the shale states, those are really good jobs. Those are high-paying jobs, right? Uh, and so that's going to have a big impact on the economy. And of course, the thing is, it's just getting started, especially, especially if uh, the Fed keeps the pressure uh, on oil prices by continuing to talk up the dollar by talking about how great the economy is, how strong the economy is, and how they're not worried about anything. And again, it's the Fed's optimistic outlook that is now defining them as hawkish. But that doesn't make them hawkish. That either makes them liars or fools. But also, if they really were as optimistic about the economy as that statement would suggest, why aren't they already raising rates, right? The fact that they're so optimistic, yet they're still so patient, is what exposes them as doves, right? The Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, is a dove in hawk's clothing. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.